Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You are listening to episode number 155. Our Sunday worship service for March 1st, 2020 is marked. It's the first in the series, The Life. Your heart knows what to do. So our scripture today as we begin our Lent series. Wow. Our scripture today is Luke 2.49. Let's say it together. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, maybe you know that story. Put yourself in that moment and think about how it might feel. Because there's something in this story that is the beginning of Lent. I chose this story for all kinds of reasons. We're going to go through those today. But it's not just about getting ready for an Easter celebration. It's getting ready for what Easter means, which has to do with new life, which has to do with the ultimate wake-up call, which has to do with getting over something, rising above. And I don't know about you, but I got plenty of those kinds of things ready to happen in my life. This is where it starts. So like I said, and we talk about this a lot when we talk about the Bible. You want to get a sense of how to interpret the Bible. There's all kinds of classes, and those are wonderful. But at the end of the day, the best place to start is to go, how would it feel to be there? Because you might not have geography. You might have not have those kinds of situations in common. You might not have fashions, diet, climate, those things in common with the people in the Bible. But those things don't matter. You do know how it feels to be in that situation, I promise. And if you can unlock that, you can unlock the meaning. And most importantly, you can unlock the application. So like I said, you know the story, right? This is the time when Jesus is like 12. I think that later on they stole big parts of this story for the plot of the initial Home Alone film. <laughs> kidding, not kidding, kidding. Um, the family, they get in the wagon, Queen family trucks her, and they go from, uh, from Nazareth up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and it's a big deal. Everybody goes, the whole family. Everybody's there. It's like a concert. This is important. And they do what they do for this multi-day Passover celebration. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But they do that. All the stuff happens and they get ready to go home. And it's a long journey back. And there's this moment. And there's not a lot of detail at this part in the story. But I can imagine a whole lot of finger pointing and blaming in the sentence, I thought you had the kid, happens. Because they don't have Jesus with them. They left without Jesus. Always bring your way shower with you when you go. Did we turn off the oven? Did we bring the Lord? These things are important for your travel checklist. Ask AAA. But these things happen. They, 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 they don't remember. So they head on back to Jerusalem and they look all over and finally they find Jesus in the temple. Now this story sounds familiar, right? You know this story. And Jesus says what we all just read together. Why were you even looking for me? Didn't you know where to find me? Imagine yourself in that position. Imagine yourself how Mary and Joseph were. Imagine yourself as one of those rabbis in the room with this 12-year-old kid asking questions and giving answers that are transformational. Imagine yourself in all of the roles and you'll learn something about what you need to know to get to the next level of whatever it is you're trying to get to the next level of. That's how this works. And over and over again, in this story, as well as over and over again, in 
all of the stories we talk about when we talk about Jesus. There's this pattern where there are certain people who want it to be the traditional way, the old way, the established way. And there's a part of us in there. Sometimes I don't want to change, you know. In this story, it's Mary and Joseph who want it to be, he's supposed to be with us. And over and over again, Jesus says, it's not like that. Then you know, did you get the memo? Remember, Gabriel shows up, there's a thing, Christmas, remember? But one way or another, Jesus says, what I come to represent means something so much bigger than what you thought before, and it's time to have those paradigms exploded into something bigger, right? Now, most people stop there. They go, okay, there's the dynamic between the traditional thing and the new thing. But there's another element to this, and it's easy to miss. And if you miss that, it's easy to believe that the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus is other and has nothing in common with the world, and you're just out of luck. But there's another element there, because first of all, you know the story. You know that the mother and child reunion is only emotion away. Oh, couldn't help it. But they get back together. You know other spoilers, but come on. So there's a happy ending. But more than that, Jesus doesn't disappear. He goes exactly to the right place at the heart of the city. And this means something. And even more than that, here is Jesus talking to human beings and asking questions. Not just talking at him. It's important that the Bible says he's dialoguing because this means Jesus is saying, you have something to teach me. I have something to teach you. You are worthwhile. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of escape. It's a gospel of profound and intense presence. Jesus showed up. And so it's not just about establishment versus new ideas. It's about a synthesis of God is here. And if you really get that, you have what you need to move forward. That's what's at stake. And I chose this story because it's such a beautiful uh, way to think about all of that. But I also chose this story as we begin our Easter time because this is the moment where he is marked. That's why the service is called Marked Today. This is the moment. Now, you know you had the Christmas thing and the angels say stuff and the three wise guys say stuff and, and all of that. That's great. But this is the first time we get it right from Jesus. This is my job. This is why I'm here. I'm in my father's house. Some Bibles say about my father's business, right? Depending on the translation. This is the moment where he says, and he is never the same after this. This is a crossing the Rubicon moment. And I bring that up because this is how this whole thing begins. But I also bring it up because this is what's called for in your life. You want a life that works? You want a better relationship with God or with the people around you? You want some functionality? You have to cross some kind of a Rubicon to go past the point of no return to get to that thing where you are marked by this. No more armchair quarterbacking. If you want a life that works, you are called upon to do something different. And that's what happens in this story. And if you can find that in your life, oh man, that's what it's all about. Now, when I am called upon to do a christening, which I love doing, 
I love I love ritual and ceremony. We don't have a whole lot of it around here. As you see, I'm not even wearing a tie. You know, we don't have a whole lot of that kind of thing. But I love it. It's got a special place in my heart. And I love all of it. Every kind of ceremony and ritual, it speaks to me. But I got to tell you, there's a special thing that happens when I get to do a christening. I love babies. I love the whole thing. You know, but it's not just because kids are cute. It's what we get to say as ministers. The next time you go to a christening, listen very carefully. It's easy to walk away thinking that what the preacher said is, this kid is born broken and we got to hurry up and wash all the yuckiness off of him or her or whatever. But you know, and I know, that God doesn't make junk, right? If you're born messed up, what does that say about your creator? And that's not really what's going on there. If you really listen to the words of a christening ceremony, not just one of mine, but anything in mainstream Christianity or anywhere else, the real message there is that God made this child and put this child in this world for a reason. Grasp the reason. In a very real way, the idea is that this child has been given to you for a reason. Understand that. And take five minutes with any baby and you remember what we talk about all the time. And that is that babies are not born knowing how to hate. Babies are not born racist. Babies aren't even born afraid. All of that is learned behavior. And so the point of a christening ceremony is, hey, don't mess this kid up, will you? That's really it. Really, when you think about it, when you really listen. And that job description sometimes gets lost. Because there's usually brunch afterwards sort of a Benedictine tradition where you go out and have eggs Benedict. But anyway, listen, I have the microphone. (laughs) But that job description that anyone gets given in a christening is kind of Mary and Joseph's job description too. Think about this with me. They have one job. Don't lose the kid. They lose the kid. That's hilarious to me. Think about it. They have one job. It's Jesus. He knows what he's doing. They lose the kid. Kid, capital K, kid, they lose him. Now, like I said, story turns out okay. They get back together. It's okay. Don't be afraid. And I think that that's really important, not just historically, but for us. Because there are people in your life. I know it because we've all got them. We're all here in this wonderful, messy, beautiful, passionate world together. There are people in your life where you go, God gave you this and you do that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. God gave you the equivalent of this Christ child, all that potential, all that beauty, all that wisdom, all of the the money, the time, the whatever, the piano lessons, I don't know, whatever it was when you're thinking about that person. God gave you that and this, you lose the kid, so to speak. And in the story, it turns out okay. And I want you to know that with me. Because in whatever that other person's story is, it's going to be okay. I promise it works out. Because God knows better and there is a way. Sooner or later, we all come home. It's okay. You want to know how to love somebody? Get good at understanding that they're not you. Don't be mad at somebody for not being you. We know this. It's not fair. 
But more than that, if you want to love somebody, get good at loving their journey. Knowing that God's in charge of it and trusting them that they're going to work it out. But I'll do you one better. If you want to know how to love somebody, love their journey, but learn how to love the exact spot they're on on the journey right now, even if it's a weird spot. You're dating them? With that? With whatever? For how many jelly beans or whatever? You know what I mean? It's that thing. I had to finish it up. You know what I mean? Love the journey and love exactly where they are on the journey. And what you're going to find out is this is not just a story about Jesus and Joseph and Mary, and it's not just a story about that person you've been worried about. It's also a story about you. Because as sure as I'm standing here, there's someone who's thinking that same thing about you. With what you got, you did, you know what I mean? It's okay. Find a way to show them that God's in charge of your life too. Find a way. Can't tell them. They're not going to hear that. It's not about speaking English. Find a way to show them. Be that love. Let it be okay. Write it out. Now, Mary and Joseph go looking everywhere in town to find the kid. And after a while, they find him at church. Now, think about that with me. You're in charge of Jesus. And you lose Jesus. Where do you go first? There's no joke here. I mean, just think about it with me. <laughs> it's not complicated. I mean, it's not like there's a lost and found in Jerusalem where you show up and you go, I, we have misplaced the Messiah. Can you describe him? Well, he's a kid, four foot, beard, sandals. I mean, what do you say? It doesn't work that way. How come that's not the first place you look? Hmm. The Bible says that it took Mary and Joseph three days to lock in on going to the temple. Now, three days is important. That's how long Jonah's in the belly of the whale. It's how long Jesus is in the tomb, right? Three days happens a lot. And there's a reason for that beyond the, the literal meaning. For you and me, three days should be interpreted as as long as it takes. It's going to take you as long as it takes to remember to go to the place you should have gone in the first place. And if you look at your life, there are lots of times when, well, that's how long it took me to figure it out. And you can curse that or you can bless it or you can move on. You know, that's the deal. That's the deal. So let's get good at going. Well, I guess that was as long as it took me. I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to pay more attention. I'm going to lead with my heart for a change. I'm going to get there. But that's how long it took me. It's okay. I just love that it took them that long. It just, it, it cracks me up. And we're going to talk in a, little, in a minute here about why I think it took them that long. But let me just say right now that because it's a story about you, no, God may not have put you in charge of the baby Jesus, literally. But count your blessings. I mean, really. Count your blessings. And I'm not saying that the way that maybe somebody said that before where they're like, tough luck, count your blessings because you might not get any more. God continually blesses. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying count your blessings in order to be aware that you live in a world of blessings. Think about all the times you made it through when you didn't think you would. Maybe it didn't go like you thought it would, but here you are, so you're winning. <laughs> you know? Learn to approach it with Thanksgiving with me because things are beautiful. Count your blessings you got here today. Air's moving in and out where it's supposed to move in and out. You know, you're here. So far, so good. 
count your blessings. And when I say something like that, I think a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. I I understand that God is in charge. I get it. On, on an intellectual level, at least, that the universe takes care of its own. I get it. And yet, there feels like a, big, a pretty big gap between this idea of being blessed and feeling it in any kind of real way in my life. It doesn't feel like God's around. I mean, I understand, but I don't feel, you know? Well, guess what? You now know exactly how Mary and Joseph felt. I said at the beginning of this that Bible interpretation has to do with hooking into a feeling. That's how they felt. We have this gift, but we can't find it. We can't connect with it. You know exactly how they felt. And the message is, if you're looking for something, love, happiness, freedom, whatever it is, if you're looking for something, go to its house. Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? So where does love live? Does it live in the same place that ego and control live? It doesn't. So quit looking there. Mm, It's easy to look in the place that our comfort zone allows, and it reminds me of that silly old joke. Can't help it. I'm going to tell you a joke now. Wife comes home, sees her husband in the backyard looking all around. She says, what are you doing? What are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for my car keys. Well, where'd you last have them? In the front yard. I was getting in the car. Well, why are you looking back here in the backyard? The light's better. It's a quick version because it's a bad joke. But think about it with me. I don't know about you, but I've had lots of times in my life where I looked where the light was better instead of where I knew I was supposed to go. I don't know about you, but I've had lots of times in my life where I looked where my comfort zone and my ego allowed instead of where I knew I had to face something that might be uncomfortable that might cause me to stretch. Where does your whatever it is, love, happiness, healing, where does it live? I bet you it doesn't live where the light of your current understanding and ego expectations shines the brightest. It's not personal. It's about moving on to something else. And I say it's not personal because that's one of those things. There's that moment where Mary and Joseph show up. You ever lost your kid? You ever been in charge of a kid and you lose them at the grocery store or whatever? And you get mad at the kid because you want the people who are watching your kid to know you're responsible? No, just you, Dieter. Okay, fine, just me. You put on this act, how dare you? And you're the one that was looking at the toys or whatever and the kid's gone. It's horrible. Oh, I don't wish that on anybody. But what's almost worse than the feeling of I lost the kid is the feeling of someone is now judging me for being the kind of person who lost the kid. I can only imagine it was worse for Mary and Joseph considering it was the Lord. So there's this moment where they show up and Jesus says, why were you even looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And some people read that part of the Bible as if to say that Jesus was ticked off, like he was saying sort of the equivalent of you're not my real dad kind of a thing. Now, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get that kind of a fit-throwing thing out of Jesus. That's not how I read it. But there is a moment of ego and control and less than optimal behavior, let's say. It's not from Jesus, though. It's from Mary and Joseph. Because if you read your scripture, the Bible says, they go, why are you doing this to us? That's the line. Why are you doing this to us? Don't you know that we have been anxiously searching for you? I don't think they really said it that way. I think there were swear words. But anyway, (laughs) because I would have had some. But that line, why are you doing this to us? And Jesus' reply is, why are we even looking? In other words, here's Jesus saying, I didn't do it to you. I do what I do. And that is 
this God business. <laughs> do what I do. It's just like the Godfather. It's his father's business. It's not personal. You know, there's a lesson there. Because it's easy to assume that this is happening to us, that someone up there doesn't like us. When, when you look back at the moments where you really felt like somebody didn't like you, there were the moments you grew the most probably or had the most to get over at least. God's not doing it to you. Jesus isn't doing it to you. No one's doing it to you. You're here to grow. Sometimes you grow the hard way. Sometimes you grow the easy way. And you can decide to get hurt by it. But man, oh man, healing's the opposite of hurt, right? So do you want to live in the hurt place or do you want to live in the healing place? You get to choose. That's how this works. No one's doing it to you. And I want to really bring that out because it's such a beautiful part of the story that, that I think gets missed a lot because it's a quick little story. And it seems like just a slice of life moment when there's actual deep theology going on. But... I also want to bring that out because I want you to think with me about how much of prayer is spent trying to get God to either like you or to just quit doing it to you. <laughs> God, will you please just let me get to this thing? I promise I'll be good, right? How many prayers are like that? I swear I'll never do whatever it was again. God, will you please like me? How much spiritual time and attention is spent trying to sway God's opinion of you? Well, let me cut to the chase. God likes you. Good and very good. So a big old hunk of what passes for prayer time can be thrown out the window so that we can get to the part that matters. God likes you. Quit trying to make God like you. It's creepy. Stop being so needy, we might say to someone who was dating us, that kept dating us even after we're together, you know what I mean? Maybe it's not different. God already likes you. And in fact, it, it, it's a fundamental law of the universe. You and I are looking for answers, looking for the Christ in the same way that Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus in the story. And it's, it's beautiful and it's sweet to know that we're all on the quest, but in another sense, it's like being nostalgic for gravity. You know, it's here. What are you doing? Where are you looking? Did you not know? You know, that whole thing. I could have had a V8. It's that thing. And so, you like that? So anyway, <laughs> So let's get personality and ego stuff out of it. God's not a control freak. So let's stop seeing God that way. In other words, let's have a bigger picture of God. We're not trying to sway somebody to like us. And it's really important because it's so easy to, to decide, I'm a human being with flaws and ego stuff and insecurities, and I'm going to project all of that onto God and make God in my image, the opposite of what the Bible says, right? It's easy to assume that there's some spiritual bunch of superheroes right? It's like an Avengers movie or whatever with all kinds of flaws and stuff and project my insecurities onto something bigger than me. And that leads to a pretty shaky theology that you can't count on when you need to the most. It's not a bunch of personalities. God loves you fact like gravity, like the laws of magnetism or whatever it is, like physics. It's not a matter of opinion, you can't go, somebody up there likes me if you also think somebody up there might not like other people who are different than you. It cannot work that way if it's going to work at all. That's just the deal. Even if they disagree, even if they don't believe the way you believe, God just loves. That's it. That's it. It's like geometry. 
And so I love the bumper stickers that say my angels are watching over me or whatever. That's great. I love that. Go there. But if your thing is, I have a special relationship that other people don't have, hmm, problematic because you made God smaller. So let yourself be dyslexic for a moment and switch that word angels around and say, I believe in angles. Angles are watching over me. It's like geometry. God just loves me. It is a fact of the universe. This is how God works. And I've decided to lean into it instead of doubt it. Things will open up for you. I promise. I believe in angles. I'm going to start making bumper stickers now. (laughs) That's pretty good. I love it that some Bible translations, as I pointed out before, have Jesus say, instead of, did you not know I'd be my father's house? Some Bible translations say, did you not know that I'd be about my father's business? It means the same thing in a way, but I like that word business because in other words, God has things to do, which is different than the idea of God just sort of floating around waiting for something to happen. Our creator's in motion. Look around at the world. You are being created anew over and over again. Lean into that. God has business. And I like that because think with me, what is your father's business? It is God's job to love you and bless you and give you what you need to grow and provide you with the seeds for change. Change. That's God's business. The question, if you want a life that works, is can my business be like that too? Can I do that too? Can I be so interested in growth and change that the ego stuff doesn't bother me, that I don't need people to do it my way because I'm too busy loving? Can that be your business? It's time for that level of, uh, let's say, investment. Now, this story happens right after Passover, which is really cool. It's interesting in a way because, you know, they come back from Passover. And so what we have is this amazing bookend moment. Remember, we've got Christmas and the the nativity and all of the sort of the, the prequel stuff. Passover and then this. And then all of these amazing teachings and this amazing life. And then there's that Last Supper, Passover, and then Easter, right? In so many ways, these Passover moments are bookends for the big deal, for the teachings and for the idea. Because the Christmas moment, the nativity moment is get ready. And the Easter moment after that last supper is, did you do it? Are you ready? Because it's time for you. Now you're on. Go. Kind of a thing. So are we paying attention between these two moments? Passover is important. I don't know how much you know about the ceremony. But it has to do with a celebration and observance. In other words, we see it. I observe it. It's happening now. An observance of freedom. An observance of the idea that, you know what? We don't have to be enslaved anymore. We're not stuck anymore. Passover is that moment where we say, I am a chosen person. God loves me. And I'm free. But that freedom... The reason that Passover is so beautiful is, you know the deal, right? That Passover is about, we got to go. We don't even have time for the bread to rise, right? We got to go. Because freedom is the same thing as motion. You have been given freedom. What will you do about it? What will you do with this thing that God gave you? 
That's the question. It's freedom with legs. I like that. It's freedom that moves. I like that. The Bible says that Jesus is 12 when all of this happens, which blows my mind because all I cared about was video games. But anyway, I guess they hadn't been invented. You know, where would we be? But I, I think that it gets lost on us in the 21st century, but it certainly wouldn't have been lost on the people who knew the story earlier. And that is that that age, 12, is the age when rites of passage happen. It is the age when you become an adult. It's the, the bar mitzvah, the communion. Even in tribal cultures, there's, this, there's a rite of passage that moves you from childhood to adulthood. And it's pretty much universal, and it's pretty much universally around that age. This is the moment. And I chose to talk about this at the beginning of our examination of Jesus' life because it happens here that he's marked by this, like I said. Now, our culture is not so good at rites of passage. Our culture is also not so good at creating grown-ups, right? Maybe that's something to look at. If you want to feel like a grown-up, maybe you need some kind of a rite of passage in your own life. Maybe that's something to think about. How can I prove to myself some kind of observance? How can I see it that I'm a grown-up now? Now, let me be as clear as I can about what that looks like, because in the traditional ceremonies, a communion, a bar mitzvah, whatever it is, even in traditional like national geographic level tribal things, the rites of passage vary greatly, but they all mean the same thing pretty much universally. Do you remember anthropology class in high school? Did you have that? Google's your friend. Remember that the, the, the point of all of these rites of passage is the same. At the end of the ceremony, you no longer live for yourself, but you belong to your tribe. That's the point of every single rite of passage is, I now live in service of something bigger than me. Before I was a kid, it was about me. It's not anymore. Do you want to be a grown-up? This is the Rubicon to cross. Decide that your life is not about you. As adults, we don't live for ourselves anymore. As adults, we are here to help somebody else, to teach, to show, to love. It ain't about you anymore. That's what we are called upon to do. And you know, I think that's why Mary and Joseph didn't want to go to the church. I think maybe they knew he was in there. And I think that, that if you've ever loved a kid, if you've ever been a parent biological or otherwise, you know that moment where you love somebody so much and you realize that you've got to let them go. It's not even a parent thing, really. I think it happens in all kinds of love. That moment where, you know what, you don't belong to me or my ego anymore. You've got to fly with your own wings. And I think Mary especially knew that was coming. And it's a bittersweet thing where, oh, wow, this is, this is real. Well, you got to let the kid go. The way that I feel about that with my own amazing children times a million billion, whatever Mary must have felt, because, you know, Jesus. But it's still there. And I bring that out because this is where we are now. Think that that calling that you feel when the lights are off and the doors are locked and you're trying to go to sleep, that thing when there's nothing on the radio, so you turn it off and you're just driving. That moment where you go, oh man, something's got to happen. And you're alone with your thoughts. It's God saying, it's time to grow up. 
It's time to pass through something. It's time for you to not just belong to you. It's time for you to belong to the tribe. It's time for you to help somebody else. If you want to cross this river, if you want to be this kind of person, if you just want a life that works, the life that God designed for you, get out of your comfort zone. Start looking in the front yard. Find things that mark you. This is not a time for safety. Find things that mark you. Let yourself be marked by your calling. Step out of the shadows. Because this freedom that God gave us is a freedom that moves. But you got to accept it. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.